Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Final Edition Radio Hour is a work of satire intended for people who own books, gentrify neighborhoods, and say they like kale. Please consume responsibly the satire, that is. Hi, I'm Tony Hendra, and this is the Final Edition Radio Hour. Well, the Final Edition Radio Hour had a little problem this week with, of all people, our favorite late-night show, The Daily Show with the New Guy. Here's what happened. In our weekly newsletter, we ran in honor of the Texas gun loony who was shot by her four-year-old in the back last week, um, a piece which we first ran last October. Here's some of it. One eight seven seven guns for kids. G U N Z guns for kids. One eight seven seven guns for kids. Donate your guns today. But oh my, what's this from the Daily Show with the new guy from? Yeah, the beginning of this month. Here's a little bit of that. The two pieces aren't exactly the same, but the core thought is, wouldn't it be good satiric fun to substitute guns for cars in the familiar earworm? In comedy circles, this is called parallel thinking, which is one of those facile phrases that sounds just fine until you peel it open a little bit, kind of like separate but equal. How is thinking parallel when one group stops doing it in late October 2015 and the other starts doing it in late February 2016? The Daily Show, which I have to repeat we still love madly, says it's routine for them to kill ideas if they become aware that someone has done something similar. How does one, quote, become aware, unquote? Well, old school, word of mouth. New school, you Google it. And if you Google 1877-GUNS, with a Z, just as ours was, for kids, you will come up with a first page that is almost entirely the final edition's Guns for Kids. Hmm. I guess it was one of those parallel thoughts that was just too good to check. But in other news, welcome to the final edition Radio Hour. Are you a recent college graduate looking for a job? Why not check out an exciting career as justice on the United States Supreme Court? 
we have a rare opening on the court, and now is the time to get in on the ground floor. But I'm not even a lawyer. Technically, you don't have to be. I mean, they've all been lawyers so far, but if you have a couple years' experience working at a Wendy's, or you supported your family on minimum wage, you bring some life experience the court doesn't have right now. I guess. But being a justice sounds like a lot of work. It's as hard or as easy as you want it to be. We have a guy who didn't ask a single goddamn question for 10 years. And when he finally does pipe up, he's defending the right of a domestic abuser to own a gun. Wow, that sounds like something I'd like to do. How's the pay? $244,400 a year. And the perks. When you have unchecked power over the law, you'd be amazed how many people want to shake your hand and buy you a free dinner. You'll get speaker's fees from political groups with business before the court. Free accommodations from businesses that have gone before the court. Free travel from people who've gone before the court. Gee, isn't that unethical? Well, now that's a question. That's a big question. And you know who decides big questions in this country? The Supreme Court! That's right, Cupcake. You decide for yourself whether you're being ethical. Could I kill someone legally? Why the hell not? To apply, call any major corporation or conservative think tank and ask for an application. Remember, no matter which way you decide a case, you're the winner! American Football, 1982. Wow, Craig Morton got hit hard on that one, and he is not getting up. Yeah, well, fortunately, it's just a concussion, which means no long-term harm. That's right. They say concussions are good for you. Good old repeated blows to the head. You know, they improve memory, motor skills, and cognitive function. That Craig Morton is a lucky, lucky man. And a lesson to all you kids out there, you can't play football if you do drugs. American Football 2015. And Tom Brady looks a little disoriented after that last play. Oh, man, that could be a concussion, and... Well, we all know what that means. Well, according to the new rules, Roger Goodell, commissioner of the National Football League, will come out onto the field and explain why the NFL is not liable. By the terms of a class action settlement, the NFL has immunity from any future concussion lawsuits and does not admit to any wrongdoing. And the crowd goes wild. American Football 2047. Alan Dershowitz III carefully hands off the ball to Peyton Manning III, and his guards are doing a great job standing just in the way of defense, making it, you know, kind of rude to push past them. Defensive lineman Riddick Cowlane is trying to get in there. He's saying, excuse me. He's saying he's got a sick kid with him and he's got to get through. I don't know if he's allowed to lie like that. You know what? I, I, I've, I've had it. What? It's the middle of the play. Look at the intense way they're kind of strolling around out there. This game legally could not get any more exciting. It isn't football if people aren't killing each other. There's there's no point to this. Now Manning has stopped in the middle of the field. He's taking out his cell phone. I think he's checking his messages. Look, I don't care if these guys get hurt. I never cared. It doesn't matter what kind of demented punch drunks they become once I'm not looking at them anymore. Does that make me a bad person? Fine. I'm a bad person. But I can't take this. No, he wasn't checking messages. He was tweeting. It's on my feed. He says, uh, one small step for Manning, one giant step for the Giants. 
<laughs> That's clever. Somebody on that field is going to get hurt. If I have to do it myself, I'm going down there with a machete in a bag of infected blood. I'll kill a fan if that's the best I can do. And someone is delivering a fruit basket onto the field. Today on Clickbait. Ten awkward reaction shots to the Armenian genocide. Ten celebrities who used to be beautiful but are now repulsive because of death. 31 rolls of film from a World War II soldier are discovered and processed. The results are really disappointing. Chocolate milk? That was carbolic acid, you idiot. 15 life-changing quotes. Five amazing pictures artists painted using only a cat whisker and pond water. How one man created dynamic, powerfully branded content while lying in a coma. Apartment unlocked after 100 years reveals skeleton of tenants still whining about noise from skeleton upstairs. Take our quiz. Can you identify Premier League footballers by their SAT scores? Can you tell which Federal Reserve chairman came from these scrotums? Surgeon General declares 60% of Americans overweight with remaining 40% in constant fear of being eaten. How this perfectly charming sinkhole was ruined by a Florida town. That's clickbait. You're looking at nothing and you can't look away. Every presidential campaign has gone into panic mode as the candidates realize they've neglected one of the biggest constituencies in America, with 2.4 million people, bigger than New Mexico, Nebraska, or New Hampshire, Bigger even than North and South Dakota combined. The candidates are out stumping for votes in prison. Can I tell you something, my prison friends? When I'm president, prison's going to be amazing. You won't believe it. You're not going to want to leave. One thing I know how to do is build huge places that can fit a lot of people. And I'll tell you something else. This prison, it's going to make a profit. Do you know why? You're going to have slot machines. And who's going to pay for it? Mexico. Solitary confinement? More like solitary confinement. Campaign consultant Morton Stifley. We know prisoners aren't supposed to vote. They're also not supposed to use drugs or have sex with guards. But they do. In politics, you've got to learn to work with people who break the law. Actually, you know what? I've already said too much. I am your candidate. Because I want an inclusive society that accepts the rehabilitated. I am your candidate because I want living wages for all. But mostly I am your candidate because I look like most of the women who write to you while you're in here. It takes kind of a light touch. The thing with prisoners is they know when you're not being real with them. As a Cuban-American-Canadian... I will be the first Latin king in the White House. Una vez que un rey, siempre un rey. And some candidates create a volatile situation. You know and I know that you were railroaded by a broken justice system and now you are virtually slave labor. You are here because you are poor. Meanwhile, the bankers and the hedge fund scam artists who robbed the American economy in 2008 walk around free, 
Are you all just going to sit here and take that? All told, given that they can't vote, do you think it's wise for candidates to come here? Well, if they don't, the candidates are ignoring an entire 1% of the American population. What kind of idiots do that? March 25th is the celebration of the Annunciation, when the Virgin Mary was told that she would bear the Son of God. Since all things are possible for God, here is an actual recording of that event. I can't believe it's 1 BC. I'm still writing 2 BC on my checks. Mary, O blessed Virgin, fear not, I am the Lord thy God. You look like an older version of that Duck Dynasty guy. That's just a guise, so my magnificence doesn't blind you. Mary, I have chosen you among all women to bear my son. Yeah, well, you can at least buy me dinner first. No, it's going to be a virgin birth. What? You don't want to fuck me? What a slap in the face. You don't understand. The virgin thing is great PR. So, I'm going to be pregnant but still a virgin. (laughs) Brilliant. So the first thing through my tight, unused twat is going to be a baby. You know how much that's going to hurt? There's a reason this process usually starts with a cock, Brainiac. you got to ease into it. I'm God, okay? I can finesse the details. Details? I'm going to lose my cherry to a six-pound infant. There will be some discomfort, I'm sure. Look, no pain. I promise. Will you do it? Well... You're paying child support. And one more thing. There's no way I'm going to stop drinking throughout this pregnancy. If he's the son of God, he can beat fetal alcohol syndrome. I'll name him Liam. I like that name. No, 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 no. His name is... Jesus. Jesus? As in what people say when they're pissed off? Jesus fucking Christ. That's the full name, but without the fucking. Yeah, you explain that part. Whatever. It'll be good to have a son to give me grandchildren and to take care of me in my old age. Right. Gotta go. The final edition radio hour will be right back, just like your cancer. Welcome back to the final edition radio humpback. President Obama has nominated Federal Appeals Court Judge Merrick Garland to replace Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court. The final edition asks the man on the street, what do you think? I'm with Senator John Hoven of North Dakota. I'm reserving judgment at this point. I heard he's a Jew. Oh, I heard he's a Jew. I heard he's a Jew. I heard he's a Jew. Judge Judy's a great adjudicator. Guess what's under that robe? It's another robe. We're cold. I feel like he's going to ask questions. I don't love that. But tell me this. Who will be in charge of the Taco Supreme Court? We believe it's unconstitutional for the president to carry out his constitutional duties. That's all I'm talking about. Grease him awesome. 
<laughs> well, I don't know. I'm with Senator David Vitter of Louisiana. I don't do halfway interviews. Oh, so he's the he's the elephant man. That's that's John Merrick. Oh, so he's Judy Garland. Oh, so he's a he's a ten. Oh, that's Bo Derek. So you're telling me they nominated Eric Garner to the Supreme Court? James Garner's going to be on the Supreme Court? Oh, so he, he sucks oil out of the ground? No, that's an oil Derek. No, that's me when I get drunk on Tuesdays. My brother-in-law ought to be a justice on the Supreme Asshole Court. Fuck you, Dave. I feel guilty that I should care more about this. If the nominee isn't Bernie Sanders, I'm not going to court at all. I've written my own name in as nominee several times. And no one has nominated me yet. You're splitting the ticket, Bridget! I'm okay for a Jew on the Supreme Court just as long as he's not a retard. Look, I'm with Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. I say we put out a statement already this morning, and I'm going to refer you to that. Okay, Ashley, don't panic. There's still plenty of time left in the game. Any second now, the cameraman is going to find you in the crowd and capture Kentucky basketball's biggest fan, Ashley freaking Judd. Come on, cameraman. It's me, Ashley Judd, the toast of Kentucky. I'm wearing my best Kentucky sweatshirt, which is hugging my curvy all-American figure. I have a Kentucky sticker proudly stuck to my smiling face. I'm even holding my blue and white pom-poms, a rare treat not only for the fans in the arena, but also for those watching at home. Show me already. The crowd will go insane. What's the deal with this camera guy, anyway? Where's the regular cameraman, Craig? He would have shown me 20 times by now. Does this new guy not know who I am? Impossible. I'm the most famous Kentucky basketball fan on the planet. I'm the only famous Kentucky basketball fan on the planet. Look at how much everyone in my section enjoys my company. We're all best buds over here. Why isn't he capturing this? Oh man, the team's down by two with a minute to go. They haven't lost to A&M in years. Come on, dude. Don't you realize that whenever I'm shown on the Jumbotron, Kentucky wins? Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think the team is good enough to pull this off on its own? No. Hello? Ashley Judd over here. Ashley Judd? We tied it up. We're going to overtime. Look how excited I am. I'm shaking my pom-poms. Show me, damn it. No, don't show the Kentucky bench jumping up and down. Look, I'm jumping into the arms of Scratch, the Wildcat. Look at me. No, don't show those fans kissing. You want to see a kiss? Fine. Look, I'm kissing Dick Vitale on the lips. Look at us. Happy? Oh, gross. He smells like eggs. Show me already. I was in double jeopardy, you asshole. Double fucking jeopardy. Ashley! Ashley! Wake up! Huh? Wake up, Ashley! Oh, thank God. It was just a dream. It sounded like a nightmare of epic proportions, baby! It was, Dick Vitale. It was. Well, go back to sleep! Tomorrow's game is gonna be awesome, baby! Okay. Hey, Dick, could you go brush your teeth? You smell like eggs again. Really? Again? Yeah. I don't smell anything, but okay, baby! Want to win an election? Buy it on eBay! I know! Whether it's a national primary or a statewide recall, Election Bay has the votes you need and the highest bidder wins! Awesome! I'm the mayor of Duluth! And you don't even live there! I never will! Plus, thanks to the Supreme Court, your bids are completely anonymous! 
Who really bought the freeholder election in Lace County, New Jersey? Well, I'll tell you who bought it. Eat me. That's who bought it. I'm the one who bought it. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see it, bid it, win it on Election Bay. Election Bay. It's time for the final edition Radio Hour's finance feature, Money or Die. We're most fortunate to have with us tonight the Prime Minister of Bribeeria in Eastern Europe, reputedly the most corrupt country in the world. Strong Powers has the story. Prime Minister Baksheesh, your country has been rated number one on the planet for kicking back, uh, paying off, greasing the skids... Or my palm. Uh, Getting a taste. Or a bite. (laughs) There are so many fun words for kickback. Our cops will arrest you unless you give them enough for a soda, which equals a couple hundred bucks. To wash down the taste or bite. Exactly. We are so proud of our number one rating. We changed our name to Briberia to celebrate this happy state of affairs. What was it before? Catatonia, and back when we were part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Bulimia. So what brings you to these shores, Dr. Bakshish? We have been studying your amazing system of bribery to see if we can make improvements on our own. But you already are number one in the world. Uh, Only number one among 187 nations on the planet that admit to pervasive bribery. America is not one of them. But your system of bribery is far, far in advance of ours in its sophistication and its sophistry. Are you suggesting that not only is the United States riddled with corruption but hides it behind euphemism? Euphemism, schmoofemism. How about legality? I have just returned from several days on K Street in Washington, D.C. There, I met scores of people who we in Briberia call bagmen or bagwomen. Amazing! But unlike Briberia, where a bagman for, say, a car manufacturer would skulk around at night and eat in greasy spoons and leave the bribe in a filthy railroad men's room, the Auto Association of America's lobbyist walks into the senator's office and openly pays him a huge bribe to vote no on a bill that will save thousands of lives. And reporters take photos of him taking the bribe. And they call the bribe a campaign contribution. Brilliant! We are going to adopt this wonderful scam right away. You you don't have lobbyists in Briberia? Oh, no. We have bagmen galore. Dirty, filthy, untrustworthy scum. Accessories to crimes against the people. A necessary evil, surely. Oh, yes, but we would never have these rat bags in our homes or official functions. If they show themselves on the street, we kick them in their private parts until they fall into the gutter where they belong. But in Washington, you invite your bag men and bag women to restaurants, to cocktail parties, to official functions, to shake hands in public with the politicians they bribe, and then offer them more bribes even though they are filthy, untrustworthy accessories to crime against the people like anywhere else. Mm, Beautiful. To a connoisseur of bribery, this is a beautiful thing. I, I understand you've also been studying our banking system. Yes, and how much we Briberians have to learn. 
take the incredible master criminal Jamie Dimon. No surprise he is Greek, for Greece was the number one most corrupt country in the world until Briberia knocked them for a loop off their crumbling pedestal. Like all Greeks, this Dimon is an underhanded scam artist, forger of documents, thief of private property, and robber of widows and orphans. But the scale of his crimes is sensational. Falsifying a trillion dollars worth of mortgages? Foreclosing fraudulent on hundreds of thousands of properties which his bank still owns? Gouging soldiers on active duty on their mortgages? Price-fixing credit card interest rates? Concealing wire and securities fraud in the London Whale? Awe-inspiring! In Briberia, for one thousandth of these crimes, we would coat him with honey and throw him in the bear cage to die a slow, sweet death. Unless he paid a bribe. Even in Briberia, there is no bribe big enough to save him. Alas, we are just not that depraved. Yet here, in this magnificently corrupt country, he stays out of jail by paying a bribe to government officials equal to the entire GDP of Briberia. Thirteen billion dollars! Stupendous! breathtaking. But it is not a bribe. Oh no, it is a penalty. Just like soccer or hockey. Superb. And not a single penny of this penalty comes from his own enormous $400 million net worth. Stunningly, he pays it all from the money deposited in his bank by the million or so morons who entrust a master criminal with their pathetic wages and savings. I worship this man. He has testicles the size of Jupiter. Well, Dr. Bakshis, thank you. It's rare these days for other countries to praise the American system. As an American... It makes me proud to hear a foreigner for once admiring something we do. And do so well. Be proud, America. Where you lead, we will always follow. Welcome back to the final edition. Periodically in this portion of the show, you'll hear us interview movers and shakers and big thinkers in the worlds of politics and media and comedy. Sometimes those big thinkers will interview us. That's what you get this week. Following is a portion of an interview with Dan Macarone. I don't know if I'm saying it right. He runs a great podcast called Story in a Bottle. It's at storyinabottle.charmingrobot.com. That's where you can hear the full interview with Tony Hendra. Uh, what follows is a little snippet of it. Tony talks about the history of the final edition, how it came to be. He almost declares to the world how old I am, which is a terrible, terrible mistake, and it's a wonderful little chat. Enjoy. Welcome to Story in a Bottle. I'm your host, Dan Macaron. Here at Story in a Bottle, we're hearing about the diverse paths people have taken to end up in the world of tech and to get to know them even better by sharing their favorite cocktail while they share their story. With the exponential growth of technology and the advent of on-demand viewing, it seems the only question with content anymore is, what can old media do to keep up? But what if the answer is, it can't, it shouldn't? Tony Hendra is, without question, one of comedy's greats. 
Described by the Independent of London as one of the most brilliant comic talents of the post-war period, Tony has definitely been entrenched in some of comedy's most important moments, including being one of the original editors of the National Lampoon magazine, discovering some of the original members of Saturday Night Live, and as one of the stars of the rockumentary This is Spinal Tap. Over champagne at his Upper West Side apartment, he petitioned that to maintain the purity of the art, with comedy as with any other kind, the media through which it's delivered matters. And for him, no two vessels deliver the punchline the same way. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming and doing this, or like letting us come here to you. Absolutely. And thanks for bringing this excellent champagne. Of course. Albert uh, Gratin. Uh, we don't get to go to people's houses very often. Well, you're very welcome. It's very, it's lovely. And it's certainly here. easier for me. Yes, that's true. That's true. So, um, we first met. I want to say it was like five or six years ago. Was that 2011? I can never remember when I began this operation. Actually, it was, but it certainly began. I think it was 2010. Mm-hmm. That sounds right to me. I think, I think it was sort of late in 2010 because the way I dated is that I did George Carlin's posthumous. Memoir, last words, I, yeah, which I'd been writing with him for years, and that came out in two thousand nine, and then we did a, a New York Public Library tribute to him in in like the late spring of twenty ten. So that's that's when I began doing the final edition, mm-hmm. and uh, so we would have met, I think that that summer or fall. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I seem to remember it was the summer. Yeah, I think that's right. The early summer. Think about where our office was yeah. when I was with Hawkeye Shell. So let's talk about the final edition, and let's start there. Okay. And, well, especially since you were in large part responsible for the first version of that. Um, the final edition grew out of um, a number of things, but um, one of which was that years and years and years ago, I did a parody of the New York Times called Not the New York Times, which was um, really, uh, it, it, it actually came out during the newspaper strike of 1978, which is a huge newspaper strike. So all the you know Times junkies didn't have a New York Times to to read every morning and and get their fix and uh so a bunch of more or less literati amongst which i didn't count myself <laughs> decided to be a huge huge gas to do this and um it included george plimpton and francis fitzgerald and all kinds of sort of new yorkerish kind of people and and big writers like john irving and carl bernstein of, of woodward and bernstein so anyway we did something called not the new york times which was uh the first known use of the word not in a in a in a parody, uh, and it was a huge success, um, and um, we never made any money for it, but it would, but it sold many hundreds of thousands of copies. Was it just one one version? It was just one one issue. issue yeah. yeah, came out in October of seventy eight. Uh, so, and it was such fun, and the the New York Times is such a rich area for for parody that I've always wanted to do another one. So, uh, a friend of mine in uh, a couple of years before this came up with uh, what I thought was a brilliant idea because the New York Times is really on its beam ends, basically, was to do the very last edition of the New York Times before it actually closed. Mm-hmm. At that time, in, in 7, 8, 9, it was, it was really in dire straits and it's, you know, online newspapers had not really quite established themselves as they, as they have now. Um, They're still struggling, just to be fair. Yes, yes. <laughs> in, in, yes, let's not, let's be clear. let's not be too optimistic. <laughs> but... Um, so anyway, so we decided to do the final edition of the New York Times. And this this kind of married with a, an impulse I've had for a long time, which was to sort of recreate in the 21st century the humor and attitude to humor of the National Lampoon, um, which I was a, an original editor of. 
and the, I can't talk about humor by getting serious about it, but 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 what the National Lampoon did that was, I think, made it such a success and made it so interesting. There was a documentary came out about it last year, actually, which was quite good, um, called "Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant, Dead," um, which I which I advise you or urge you to 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 watch because it's fun. Can we watch on Netflix or do you know? It's actually. It's actually showing on Showtime and, for some reason, the History Channel. I suppose that's history to the History Channel. That's the seventies, you know, so long ago. Um, but um, many of our listeners probably, probably <laughs> yes, yes, ancient history. But um, uh, anyway, so, so but the idea, the the, the great, the, the the real point about National Lampoon humor is not just that it was funny and it was smart and it was savage, but also that it was outwardly directed. It wasn't about us. Mm-hmm. It was about the country about people about bad things and good things that we didn't like you know um and um uh and, and in that sense it was it seemed to be very unlike the humor that's grown up in the last 10 to 15 years which does seem to be terribly solipsistic you know it, it really sort of involves it, it involves the comedian's life and mm-hmm. opinions and tragedies and all that or supposed tragedies in one way or another and that's kind of seeped into television television comedy a lot too so this is kind of a, a retrograde old fart you know going i want to do it the way i used to do it <laughs> and um so that's what we that's what we really set out to do and, and make this not just a sort of fond affectionate parody of the new york times but really sort of taking the times apart for some of its more egregious um uh let's say habits and i remember when we talked about this um God, when we first met, uh, the, the idea really intrigued me because you were, because uh, you, you did, you came to us to, to work with you on it uh, as, as a website, not as a print publication. Oh, yes. I mean, this was, well, that that was actually probably the first time anyone had, had tried to do a parody of an online publication. Right. I, a few years before that, I did a parody of the Wall Street Journal, which sort of edged into that area, but it was, it was still basically a paper parody. But this, no, this was the first time we did, uh, we, we did a newspaper, an online newspaper, as a parody. So that was very interesting. How, how was how was your approach to that different than how you'd done the the print piece? Well, to some degree, the joke of the New York Times, and I'm not sure this has really changed, is that it didn't actually create an online newspaper. It put the paper newspaper on right, online. Right. That's right, and it's still doing that to a large extent. So, I mean, a lot of the more interesting things about. Um, you know about online publications like like clickbait for example um are not uh, at that time at that point we're not to be found anywhere in the new york times and, right. and even now i see the it's beginning to creep into the new york times too um so that was an, that was kind of an interesting an interesting thing but still basically it was it was you know it was a parody of you know krugman and and uh, and brooks and and um what's the other guy's name whose name i can never remember tom friedman mm-hmm. So we one of the sections we had, which I think you designed, didn't you? Was was um, the opinion section was or? called P Magazine. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Which yeah. is which is uh, New York Times doing softcore porn. Right. Right. Which was great fun. <laughs> that was a good time to design that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the New York Review of Boobs was one of the things. There was everything P was. Magazine. I mean, everything was like going down the, the tubes. You know. Right. Um, the thing that 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 I found really interesting about it, and I don't know if this ever actually happened or. Um, if it was just something we talked about, but was that as opposed to how you'd have like an issue, you know, where, where it's like one newspaper and this is the final edition or whatever, or the, sorry, not the New York Times. 
with with the final edition, the idea that I thought was intriguing was how this happens, how the when the world of digital everything's happening kind of all at once. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's there's nothing that's like static. Right. And so one of the things I know we talked about was how do you do how do you create a publication that is basically going down the tubes and and watch that play out over time. I don't know if that ever if you, do you remember having that conversation or did I, am I yes, making yes. Okay. and actually um but by the time we actually got around to publishing it in in twenty eleven, um, I think you you had moved on. Yeah, I moved on. Right. Yeah, you, you you began doing something else. But I mean, our, our uh, my intention was always to um, transition this at some point into a into a website, into a news website or a news oriented satirical website called thefinaledition dot com. Right. So the what I had never what I hadn't thought through was how. Exactly what what you're saying here, which is that since I was used to doing parodies of newspapers, one issue of a newspaper, yeah, I I did that, which was probably very unwise because it because it meant that if somebody even if somebody read everything in in that parody and it was about fifty pages long, I mean, it took on every section, right, right, um, it um, that, then then they would the next day, the next morning, they would say, okay, what's new. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there's six months of work for putting for putting you know one day actually of of uh, of of the of the paper together was was um, was was became a big problem, and so the solution we found to that was that um, was that various people bought the the corpse of the New York Times over the over the sub- subsequent weeks. Right. Like um, at one point the Saudi. Royal family bought it, and then Murdoch saved it from the Saudi royal family, and and so forth. So we had these interim issues where basically most of the paper was was we we left we left alone, mm-hmm. but um, but changed the, you know the cover and and the stories that flowed from it. I think that's something really fascinating, and I know you can't you can't dissect humor; it becomes not funny anymore. But but there's something to me that's really fascinating about the idea of playing out a joke like that over. Or a series of jokes like that over the course of time, that I mean, I guess you could do it years ago with if you did issue after issue, but because it's all happening in such real time, uh, there's something really playful about that that, right. that yeah, I feel like you don't get to see very often on the internet. Um, no, I think people. No, I don't think people do. I mean, it, it's. Um, I'm not sure that. I'm trying to think if I. I mean, the onion. The onion does. Does have kind of running jokes, sure. you know, like Area Man and all that kind of stuff, right? They used to, but even they are, are doing sort of one. Everything is a one-off, right? It's, right. it's not. It, they're not building up characters or or, or situations um, where the fam- very familiarity of them is part of what the joke is. Yeah, um, which is a lesson you learn from television. And after all, the internet is basically just tiny television <laughs> with, a, with a lot more voices. <laughs> yes. <right. laughs> And comment comments that's the worst yeah yes yeah. Um, but anyway so yeah so that's uh, you know and, and you you designed the the original wireframes for the mm-hmm. for the parody which was brilliant which I think we had put we had put comments in as well you know yes we yes. had an ASCII middle finger from the tech team as everything was slowly breaking down was right right it was very fun to work on so how so so how did how did that evolve after uh, after we 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 part our ways on that? Well, then the, I mean the, that the, the the various people buying the New York Times um, at one point there was like all the billionaires in America bought it. It was <laughs> like lots of different steps, but eventually it it did what I wanted it to do, which was become the finaledition.com. 
And that was actually huge fun because it was obviously in 2011 with an election coming up and Obama doing all the stuff he was doing at that time and and, and so forth. The the opportunities for, for the kind of satire I wanted to do were, were legion. And there were stories like, you know, the, the Nobel Peace Prize Committee demanded Obama's peace prize back, but politely because they're, you know, Norwegians <laughs> uh, and, uh, and those, those kind of things. But, but even then, tr- refreshing it or trying to refresh it, even every week became really quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, although I had a, you know, concentric circles of, I had concentric circles of, of writers who, who, who contributed all the time. But since I wasn't paying them anything, you couldn't ever get them to write on deadline or to spe- specifications. And by the way, I don't think you're alone in that situation. I mean, whether it be comedy or news or anything, one of the things we see all the time is that challenge that people have when they want to create uh, a content site. It's, it's, it's immensely difficult. Yes. I mean, creating co- any kind of content on a yes, regular basis is hard. Absolutely. No, Tom Phillips, uh, who, was, who used to be the publisher of, I don't know if you've come across Tom, but he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's a great guy. Um, but he used to be the publisher of Spy mm-hmm. uh, when, when I was... Uh, when I was writing for that, and then became the editor of it eventually. Um, the um, he said he 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 was running a an online venture at the time, and I and I thought I'd get his advice, you know. So I took him, showed him the the boards. Actually, it was when we were still working with you, I think. Mm-hmm. And we had some fake stories up and all that kind of thing, and I, and he looked it over and said, "It's a great idea. But what are you going to do the next day?" <laughs> <laughs> so, but I did not heed him. <laughs> So, but anyway, we did that through the fall, and then um, one of the people I'd taken on on board was uh, a young, or at least young by my standards, only half my age, uh, a comedian called Jeff Chrysler, who had worked with me on uh, a Wall Street Journal parody that I did earlier, and, and was contributed to the New York Times. And he became uh, he became my managing editor. And one of the things that Jeff was into was um, radio, mm-hmm. and. Um, He'd been doing a radio show with a friend of his called The Rude Pundit, which was on a small sort of crunchy granola kind of network here in New York. And he uh, and I'd always wanted to do radio. I mean, I, I wanted I love radio. And ever since the, the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which uh, which I didn't do very much of, but but, uh, you know, I sort of helped to cast. I have always wanted to do that kind of radio, which is highly produced sketch comedy, because I think radio is a fantastic fantastic medium for for that kind of comedy because simply i mean you can literally take pope francis and put him down in the congo and then shoot him to the moon mm-hmm. and all you have to do is find the correct sound effects right um and then if you wanted to do that on video it would be literally Sometime impossible right. yeah yeah so and the imaginative power of, of radio is just is just wonderful so i really jumped at this opportunity because I had someone who sort of knew something and a little network to get to, to work out the kinks on. And he had been working uh, with Liz Winstead, who was one of the originators of The Daily Show. Do you know, do you I know Liz? Liz yeah. Yeah. Um, I know her from back from my comedy days. What's her? I know her back from my comedy right, days. Right, right. Yeah. She knows literally everybody. So. I know she does. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so uh, he knew some very good voice actors, and, and we put it together, and we started doing it. And we're still doing it four years later. Um, and I must say, it's... Um, it's now sort of taken over the final edition. I mean, the final edition Radio Hour, which started off by being 25 minutes long, but still called the final yeah, of course. Radio Hour, <laughs> is now actually an hour, and it appears on a number of it's kind of patchwork of, of various distributors. The final edition Radio Hour will be right back. Hello, I'm Stanley Sherman. And I'm his wife, Rita Sherman. We're the people in the car ahead of you in traffic. The white SUV. And we're here to encourage you 
to subscribe to the Final Edition podcast. We are very interested in things. We appreciate a show that takes time to examine the issues. It makes us more informed voters. Whether to go to the right or go to the left or go straight or stop and consider our options. Well, the light is green up ahead, so we better slow down. This will take all my concentration. Be careful, Stan. I know. The Final Edition Podcast. We have one. Dad, I have a question about sex. I guess you're starting to get curious about girls' bodies. No, I've seen naked girls all over the internet. Really? When I was your age, naked breasts were a big deal. They're just udders. Who cares? I'm wondering about something else. Well, maybe your old man still knows a few things. What is it? When a girl puts out a cigarette in your mouth, is there a trick to not getting burned? Dad? Ask your mother. Mom, when a girl puts her cigarette out in your mouth, does it have to hurt? That's something you and the lady work out together in advance. Do you know what a safe word is? Duh, yeah, Mom. Don't get sarcastic with me. Now you just tell that girl not to leave any marks. If she goes too far, use the safe word. And if she doesn't respect that, never go to that dominatrix again. You understand? Thanks, Mom. Dad didn't know. Well, I'm sure your father is still good for some things. (laughs) (laughs) A message from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sovereign citizens. This is the second communication from the Liberty Militia in River Park, Oregon. We're here to free the town of River Park from the tyranny of the United States. Unfortunately... We now have a situation in which another group calling itself a militia has arrived in River Park and is claiming to liberate the town that we are already liberating. It's a false flag. They're undercover FBI. And and, and it's so obvious. Play the tapes. We're going to call these guys, and we have some tapes. They're going to blow your mind. The militia army? That's stupid. A militia is an army. We're calling them now. Hello, who is this? Are you the militia army? You tell me who you are. We happen to be the Liberty Militia. Oh, brother. Yeah, heard of us? We've been seeing you on TV, and we thought we'd better chat. Yeah, I think we'd better. I don't know whether you've noticed, but we've already liberated the town of River Park, so I'm not exactly sure what you're doing here. Play him the tape. We're going to play a little audio. You might like this. I don't think we have anything to learn from you. Just hang on. This is a recording Thursday when you held a press conference in the parking lot of the Red Apple. We're talking about originalism in the original sense. We believe in the people who believe in the Constitution, and we hold... Do you remember that? Do you remember saying that? I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. I'm not going to confirm or deny anything. Hmm. Well, he is invoking the correct amendment. Yeah, well, listen to the other audio. That That supposed school shooting. Right, okay. So this is a news report on that alleged school shooting last year in Chicago. They're interviewing a neighbor. Well, the police wouldn't let anyone out in the street until an hour ago. Now we're hearing about people and their kids... 
It's just awful. That's you again, isn't it? No, you're, you're not pulling this, are you? Are you pleading the fifth again? No, that's not me at all. You're a crisis actor. You're an actor, and you work for the CIA, and you go on TV whenever the media is making a false flag, fake shooting or some, some fake incident, and you act like a real person. Oh, that's real nice, real smooth. Preemptively accusing us of being the crisis actors. When you're the crisis actors, here's a recording for you. It's 9-11. We can't get phone service, so I can't call anyone. They just, they herded us down in the water, and boats picked us up and took that's us That's you. To that, that's you talking right there. I just want that's a woman. Them. Oh, right. I forgot. Voice-altering software doesn't exist Believe in this universe. This is, you have no case. That's your grammar. That's the same say, grammar actually, you use. It's English so grammar. Complex. What? That's you. you are, oh, my also. God. You are trying to throw off suspicion from yourself in the lamest way possible. Just tell your CIA colleagues the real militia is here. Get off this line. You called me, idiot. I will kill you. I will kill you. No one calls him a crisis actor. Do you hear me? Calm down, Jerry. You're taking the bait. Your slime tactics. I gave up my family for this, you son of a bitch. Do you hear me? Come down here. I will cut your fucking head off. Come down here, pal. I will push your face into the garbage. You come down here, you son of a bitch. Come down here. I will cut your face open. I will pour garbage in your mouth. I'll stick a knife in your head. I will dump garbage on your dead body. We're hanging up now. I will jam a knife in your mouth. Okay, they, they got the point. They know that we know. We're going to sign off now. But we'll be sending out another communique in the near future. I will cut him hard. Look, I, I know you're trying to protect me, but that's exactly what the CIA wants. Sovereign citizens. And now Jim Rowe with an obituary of another real dead person. Antonin Scalia, the poor man's Robert Bork. Antonin Scalia, the jolly, bushy, eyebrowed, sanitized, racist, misogynist, homophobe, fake intellectual Supreme Court justice who regularly pled no contest to free meals, is dead after 79 years of staining his robes. Cause of death was undetermined, but the legal consensus is the universe had just cause to terminate his life. Scalia died at a West Texas hunting ranch run by members of the International Order of St. Hubert, patron saint of hunters, of whom Scalia was the most prominent member who could no longer find his member. St. Hubert's martyrdom is a particularly inspiring tale of struggle and faith. After his tormentors stuffed him with a devilishly mouth-watering selection of pork loin and a bed of guava and plum sauce, followed by almond mole chicken, viceroy's cake, and a delicious homemade ice cream, Hubert barely had the strength to cross the spacious veranda and make it back to his complimentary luxury quarters, where he quickly fell onto a plush pillow-topped bed and succumbed to the demonic enticement of a gentle sleep. St. Hubert is also the patron saint of metalworkers and smelters, and right now Scalia isn't smelting very good. Those at the ranch remembered Scalia as a stalwart defender of their Texas way of life, as well as the guy who always rushed the buffet and hogged the toilet. Responding quickly to the news, President Obama ordered all flags to be flown at half-caring. Those who knew him say Scalia was a man of very taste, with a fondness for poker, opera, enforcing poison through the veins of innocent people on death row. The centerpiece of Scalia's judicial philosophy was his commitment to the doctrine of originalism, which sought to interpret the Constitution as it was understood at a time when women were considered less important than goats. 
Funeral services for his body included a 10-hour repose in the Supreme Court building not far from where Clarence Thomas has been sleeping for the last 26 years. Thanks for listening to the Final Edition Radio Hour. The voices of the Final Edition are performed by Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hendra, Jeff Hendrick, Dan Vitale, Jessica Park, Jeff Chrysler, Barry Lank, John Marshall, Abby Parker, Rachel Rauch, Steve Rosenfield, James Mount, Rob Miller, Leah Krinsky, Kayla Merrill, Andrew Danish, Leslie Shapira, and Tuchel, and Darby Worley. Credit to our writers at the Final Edition Radio Hour, Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hendra, Jeff Hendrick, Jessica Park, Abby Parker, Jeff Chrysler, John Marshall, Barry Lank, Leslie Shapira, Kurt Weitzman, Leah Krinsky, Kate Knowles, Jeremy Rayburn, and Steve Rosenfield. The final edition is produced and directed by Tony Hendra and Jeff Chrysler. West Coast production by Barry Lank. Audio edited and engineered by Greg Russ and Andrew Hammond. The final edition radio hour is the property of the final edition LLC. Copyright 2015. 